let's see. And let's start and just review briefly verses 1 through 3. Our former dead condition. Notice it states that we were dead in our sins. Before we were saved, we were spiritually dead. We were formerly living according to the ways of the world. We did what the world did. We walked like the world walked. We talked like the world talked. We lived like the world lives. And again, this is how the Bible describes a Christian before they're a Christian. This is who we are, and this is what we were. And this is how we acted. We lived according to the ways of the world. We formerly also lived according to Satan. Now, I know, I know, most people that would say they're not believers in Jesus yet and have not repented and believed, they would say, I don't live according to Satan. I don't follow Satan. I'm not under his direction. Unbelievers would never come up and say, Oh, I loved the devil. And I follow his ways. But again, it's not a matter of what a person thinks. It's what the Bible says about them. And this is what the Bible says about them. By the way, that's what he says about all of us, too. He says that that's who we were. We were led by Satan. I was led by Satan for 22 years of my life. If you came up to me and asked me that, hey, were you led by Satan? I would say, no, you're nuts. You're crazy. I'm a pretty good person. But therein lies the problem. I thought I was a pretty good person. I wasn't a pretty good person. I was walking in the ways of the world. I was led by the devil. That's what the passage says. And the Bible defines who we are more than we do. God's word is the authority and it describes who I am and who I was better than I can. So I trust the word of God. We were formerly living in the lusts of our flesh. We did what we wanted to do and what we could get away with. What restrained us? What kept me from being as bad as I could? Well, ultimately, it was God's common grace that God has put governments in place. And to a degree, those governments keep me from doing crazy things, right? To a degree. To the degree that we could do it without getting in trouble, right? But ultimately... We lived in the lust of our flesh and we did whatever we wanted to do. And our very nature, the core of who we are when we are born, are children of wrath. We were children of wrath. Deserving God's judgment. Totally depraved. The importance of Paul's description of believers' former condition is to show just how great and powerful God is. And the more you understand who you were the better you'll understand what a great power it was and a great grace it was that you're different now. If you love Jesus, it's only because of who? God's power. That's it. In Romans chapter 8, in Romans chapter 8, verse 58, notice these words. In Romans chapter 8, verse 58, or 5 rather, 8, 5, 5 through 8, It states this, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. There's a contrast. Setting your minds on the things of the flesh versus the things of the Spirit. Born-again believers set their minds on what? The things of the Spirit. The lost 
unfortunately, set their minds on the things of the flesh. What we want, our humanity. Verse 6, for the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it's not even able to do so. The unbeliever cannot obey God. They cannot. They don't even have the ability to do it. Why? Because of the dead condition. And again, are we as bad as we could be? No. But it's the motive of our hearts are not to glorify and honor and exalt the Creator God until we're saved. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Isn't the irony of this is that many of the religions of the world do one, have one main goal. What is the one main aim? It is to please God and somehow earn their favor with God. The very thing that they try to do, they cannot do. It says it. The cleaner you get on the outside of the cup means absolutely nothing to God. Your hearts are unable, unable to please God. We are walking dead people. Until God. That is the power of God. That He can take this wicked, wretched, miserable sinner and make me alive in Christ. And I'm alive. I'm alive because of Him and His power and His love and His grace and His kindness. And who gets the credit? Him. All Him. All Him. So we saw that we were in a dead condition. Next, we see our new transformed alive condition. Look at it. Verses 4 to 7. God's divine nature is the opposite from our nature. We were dead, but God is merciful. He's gracious. He's loving. He's kind. Notice, but God. Oh, great truth, right? I'm sinful. I'm wicked. But God. I'm deserving wrath. But God. Being rich in mercy. Because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him. And seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We were born evil. We were totally depraved. We were worthy of His wrath. But God, because of His character of love and kindness and grace and compassion, because of who He is, He made us alive in Christ and with Christ. He raised us from spiritual death. Look at this stunning grace on display, folks. This great love act. God's loving transformation of our condition is described with three primary verbs, actions, deeds that God did. Notice it doesn't say, I made myself alive. I raised myself up with Christ. I made, I seated myself beside Christ. I did nothing. He did it all. He gets all glory. He did the action. These three concepts are associated with the power of God and the work of Jesus in the previous section, remember? That He raised Him up 
and seated Him in heavenly places at the right hand of the Father. Now, we are in an amazing way united with Christ in that same resurrection. We're alive. God powerfully worked in Jesus to position Christ where He's supposed to be. And then we are positionally changed also by grace through faith. We are changed positionally by status and in position in heaven. That is my location, for lack of a better term. That is the sphere of influence for all true believers. We are now with Christ in heavenly places. His rule and reign is in our hearts and in our minds and in our thoughts. And this is our position. We've changed. But we are also transformed internally, internally, and relationally. What does that mean? Well, this being alive and raised with Christ and seated with Christ has both in mind. It's not just one little thing. It's everything. That positionally I'm with Christ and I'm declared right and I'm set apart. But also there's been an internal transformation of my soul. When he talked to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he said to him, you must be born again. You must come alive. You must be born again. And Nicodemus says, what? How can a man be born twice? How can that happen? And the answer to that question is God's power. What we cannot do, He does. What an amazing God. He made us alive. If you are a born-again believer, that is, you've repented of your sins and trusted in Christ, you are alive. You're alive in Christ and with Christ. And you're seated with Him positionally. And you're transformed internally. And your relationship has changed too. Where you were alienated, now you, as we will see, you are at peace with God, reconciled to God. You have relationship with God. And the Spirit of God literally dwells within you. That's a huge display of power, isn't it? Taking a wretched, miserable sinner like me, changing my heart, changing my mind, paying for my sin, declaring me right, And then indwelling me? I'm indwelled by God. You're indwelled by God. The Holy Spirit lives within us. We are the temple of the living God, as 1 Corinthians 6 says. A wretched sinner. Wow! That's a powerful display, isn't it? Just like Jesus' position in heaven is real. It's real, right? Are we one day going to find Jesus' body in the grave? No. No. He's alive. And His resurrection guarantees our Transformation is real. He is presently Lord over all. 
He is presently working in His church, the body. He is the head. He is nourishing and cherishing His body, His bride continually. That is us, the church. His power is mighty and it's active in us and it's living and He's working in us and we're alive, we're alive, we're alive. Why do you need to know this? You need to know this because it's that power that works within you to have you walk worthy of this calling. It's as you know who you are and what God has done, we will jump to the moon for Him. We'll do whatever He wants us to do. We want to obey Him because we know we're alive in Him. There's a real result for us who God gives new birth to. By using being placed in Christ, He supernaturally changes us. He changes us from dead people walking to living disciples walking. We're changed positionally, relationally, supernaturally. We are alive. Hey, you know what? I, 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 I get so frustrated at the charismatic movement. I have to admit, I get frustrated because they make it all about getting healed. You know, it just recently some guy said that he came back from Myanmar and, and healed everybody in a town of unbelievers. Somebody that was a master's seminary grad. Uh, yeah. Why isn't he going to the hospitals, right? Why? Why Why are we even dealing with the coronavirus? The problem is, is that they are stealing the real power of God that's on display. That's the thing. It's a distraction. And it's actually the enemy because there is a great power on display every day. It's a supernatural thing. It's as he converts lost sinners and changes hearts. If more of these people that so-called talk about the power would go out and share the gospel around the world, maybe we would be more seeing more transformation power. How about go to Myanmar and don't try to heal them, give them the gospel. If they walked, if he walked away from there and they were healed and they weren't recognizing their sin, turning from their sin and trusting in the Christ, isn't, isn't that the great power display? Who cares? I'm going to die. This body of death is going to die. My soul matters. We are alive from the dead, and that is the power that matters. We are ruled by Christ, not Satan anymore. We're controlled by the Spirit of God, not our flesh. We have access to God. We're no longer separated from Him. We're able to be strengthened within the inner man. And we're not lost in bondage to sin anymore. If you're here today and you're lost in bondage to sin and you don't know Him, let me tell you who you need. You ready? You need Jesus Christ. He's the one that powerfully can transform you. He's the one that will give you peace and joy and life eternal. Knowing God, turn to Christ. Christ is your hope. No one else. Only Christ.
Paul is so overwhelmed by this in chapter 2, verses 4 to 7, that he gets ahead of himself. By grace, you've been saved. By grace, you've been saved. He says it and then says it again in verse 8. Why would he get ahead of himself? Because he recognizes it's all God's unmerited favor that saves any soul. And he acknowledges it. It's by God's unmerited favor that we're alive. That you're alive. That you've been delivered from the power and penalty of sin. It's it's God's grace. It's His unmerited favor. It's not you. We were dead. But every true believer in Jesus has been made alive in Him. We are no longer separated from God. We are no longer in bondage. Walking according to the age of this world, we are no longer under the prince of the power of the air. We are alive in Christ. And by nature, we have the mind of Christ. We have a heart that loves Christ. So we're delivered from our former condition and position. But do we still sin, beloved? Yes, we do. An apparent tension arises here. If I'm so alive, Pastor Mike, why do you sin? Do you, are you saying you don't sin? No, I sin. Why? Because I'm still in this body of death. I have not been completely glorified. It's an already not yet thing. I've started. God started this work in me. But the final glorification of me has not yet happened. And so I live in this body of death and I'm constantly reminding myself, no, Mike, no, Mike, no, Mike. You're alive in Christ. Look to Christ. You need His power, not your power. You need Him. So we who are alive in Christ are still in dead bodies and so we're constantly doing what? Going to Him. Going to Him. Depending upon Him. And right now it's by faith It's through faith that we live, right? But one day it will be with sight. We will see him. We will know and see the one who has transformed us. I can't wait for that day. How about you? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. So how do we take advantage of these new hearts? Can we avoid sin? Are we able to walk in unity, holiness, love, light, wisdom? Are we able to stand firm against the devil? Yes, 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 yes. Why? Because we're alive. Our souls are alive. Our hearts have been changed. And we know this is true. And we trust in God's power to work in us. This is why Paul prayed that they would know what? The power of God towards them. And then he prays for them at the end of chapter 3 that that they would be strengthened with power. That God's power would be displayed in them. And that's what we do, don't we? We say, I'm alive because of your power. I'm alive because Christ rose. I'm alive. Your power has worked and now God work in me. And then what do we do? We work out our salvation in fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work both to will and to do for His good pleasure. He's at work in me. His power is on display in me. 
Yes. But we've got to know 2, 1 to 10. We've got to know it. We've got to understand it. We've got to fully grasp it to the best of our ability so that we can walk with Him. And every time we fail to walk by faith in Him, He eventually, by His grace, does what? He calls us back because we can't get out of His grip. We're in His rule and reign. We're under His sovereign lordship. The Lord Jesus is all about showing off His grace in His children, isn't He? Salvation is positional. Salvation is also relational. And you understand something, folks. I, there's just, I, I saw this this week as I'm around these guys, 3,500 men longing to preach the word and having a high view of God and wanting to do this. You know how encouraging that is? I'm telling you, I didn't care about the coronavirus one time. I got home. My wife was like, did you see all the stuff that's going on with the coronavirus? I have no idea. I don't really care. Really? No, I just spent four days worshiping God with 3,500 men that have the same desire to exalt Christ and run down aisles to hear hour-long sermons and sing at the top of their lungs the glory of God and I could care less about the coronavirus. I know you're like, what? Christ Jesus is Lord. He's King. I'm alive. His grace is active and working in me. And there's a lot of us. There's a lot of us on this world all over. Millions of people are doing the same thing that we're doing right now. Worshipping Christ Jesus the Lord who died and rose from the dead and is seated at the right hand of God in heavenly places. And one day He will return. God is good. And He's all powerful to save wretched sinners like me. If you believe in Jesus, it's all by grace that you believe. Haven't we seen this over the last 2,000 years? 2,000 years of church history, I know. It's spotted and it's ugly at times. And you look at church history and you say, Where, what? what's going on? I want you to understand that we have skewed lenses even when we look at church history. You know why? Because the devil, you think the devil wants Christ to get glory? He is working all the time to try to skew the true church and take away that beautiful, shining light of the church. But God's been saving people for 2,000 years. And there is going to be a multitude of multitudes worshiping and praising Him forever. Do you understand? There's going to be probably billions and billions of people over all the history. It's going to be amazing. God is powerful and he's working. So are you one of those followers? If you are, walk in his power through faith. 
Do you recognize your sinfulness? Do you recognize your need of His forgiveness and His restoration, His continued building in your life, working in your heart? That's a good sign, by the way, if you're a follower of Him. You're one to acknowledge your sin quickly. But it's also somebody that loves Christ. Someone that the most important thing in their life, the most important one in their life, is Christ. I mean, if we were to do a poll in this room, I hope you would get it right. Who is the most important person to you in your life? I hope even the married people would say, Jesus Christ. Because he is for us, isn't he? He's more important than my wife, my children, my family. He's more important than you, to be honest. He's more important than this job, this role, this position. He's my life. As Paul said, to live is Christ. He's everything to us. Why? Why would we be here? Why are we this? Why am I alive? Why? What is God's purpose in saving this wretched, miserable sinner that I am? Why would he save the least of the saints here? Why me? What's the purpose? What's the purpose of transforming you? Why? What's the purpose? That brings us to our third point. The purpose of God's transforming work. Look at verse 7. When you see a so that in the Bible, you should mark that. You should circle it. Mark that down. This is probably pretty important. So that. So that what? So that. Here comes the purpose. So that in the ages to come. Boy, that's plural, isn't it? Ages to come. That means it's not just now. It's going to be in the future ages too. And there's more than one ages to come. That's eternity. That's ages and ages and ages. Millennial, uh, millennium, and into the eternal state. In the ages to come. So that in the ages to come, He, that is God, that God might show the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. This verse clearly lays out the purpose of God's saving grace. Why did God regenerate Dead sinners like me and you. Why did he make dead sinners alive like me and you? Why did he make deceived followers of the enemy of God, Satan, why did he make us humble servants of himself and reconcile us to himself? Why did he do this? What was the purpose? Answer, real simple. So that he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Did he save you because you were worth saving? Nope. No, you were a child of wrath. He did not save you because you were worth it. He didn't save you because you were valuable, ultimately. Because sin, what? Deserves judgment and separation. 
We don't deserve to be in the presence of God. Do you understand? Yes, we are image bearers. But all of Adam's sin has been what? Credited to our account when we're born. We're dead in sin and hating a God. He does not save us because we're worth it. He does not save us to show off our value. He does not show us to glorify us. Now, yes, he's going to glorify us. But why is he going to glorify us? What's the purpose of glorifying us? Well, it's because, Mike, you're a pretty special man. The purpose is so that you will look really, really good. And everybody will go, wow, Mike, you look good. No, beloved. No. God does his work for his glory. His name, his fame, to show himself off, not to show me off. This is the problem with big evangelicalism or the evangelical church as a whole. They make church, salvation, everything about who? Us. By the way, if, you're, if our church ever says and changes to be pragmatic to the place where we make it all about attracting you to make you feel good about your felt needs, leave. We have one goal, one primary goal, and that is to glorify God. It is about Him. It is not about us. Every song we sing, the goal for our songs that we sing, our worship, is to make much of God because He saved us for His glory, to show off His glory and grace. Again, it's the same thing that was said in Ephesians chapter 1, right? In Ephesians chapter 1, He's already said this, that He chose us before the foundation of the Lord or the world and He adopted us as His sons. Why? To the praise of His glory. Of his grace. To the praise of his glory. Yes. God is all about himself. And I'm good with that. Because he's perfect. He's righteous. His nature is what? Gracious and loving and kind. Can you imagine. If God was all about exalting man. Making it be about us. God would then be an idolater. Why? Why? He would be taking the creation, just like mankind does, makes these little images. He'd be making the creation above himself, which would be what? Insanity! God is all about exalting himself, showing off his glory, and that's what he's doing. That's what salvation is, beloved. The single greatest problem with our evangelical church in in America is that they're all about worshiping ultimately themselves and valuing themselves. 
That's why you have to see these perspective. You have to have Ephesians 2, 1 to 10 perspective or you're not going to be able to identify the true church. And again, do I think our church is the only church? No, there are thousands and millions of Christians around the world that get this, that it's about God's glory, not ours. That's good news. And we are going to worship with every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. Do you understand? That's good news. We're not all by ourselves. We're not a cult. So what's the purpose for God saving wicked sinners like ourselves? God's glory. He states it. So that in the ages to come, God might show the surpassing riches of His unmerited favor and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. It's all about showing off himself. Show or demonstrate is what it states here. His surpassing riches of his grace. God works to say, save or show off his grace. He wants everyone to know he is gracious. Everyone to know. He's announcing in effect every time he saves somebody. I'm a kind God. I'm a kind God. I'm a kind God. I'm a gracious God. I'm a loving God. Here's another. Here's another. I'm gracious. I'm kind. I'm making Dead sinners alive. God is good, and he's showing himself off. Now Paul develops this and explains it. Now I often, we often go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 9, and make it the main theme. But do you understand that it flows off of this whole concept of the purpose of God's grace? It's important that you understand this. We, how many of us quoted Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 numerous times in our lives? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. How many of you have quoted that verse? You probably haven't memorized, right? What's the first word in verse 8? Four. Four. How many of you start sentences with four? It means if you start with because, you've probably done what? You've probably done a wrong grammatical thing. Why? Because it's called a dependent clause. It's a dependent clause. You know what that means? That means you've got to have the thing before it in order for it to be a real good sentence. Otherwise, you get Mark. How many of you got marked on your paper? Because. Why do you start it with because? No one starts with because. You don't start with because. You know why you don't start with because? Because it's linked to something else. What's it depending on? What's it explaining? It's explaining the purpose of God. That it, God did everything. He saved people. He made us alive To show off His glory, His grace, His kindness. Because by His unmerited favor, by His grace, you have been set free, declared right, delivered from sin, the power and penalty of sin, through faith. Through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Why? Wait, 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 wait. So that no one may boast. There's another purpose clause. So that no one may boast. There's a double purpose here. What is this? Well, you have the purpose of God saving is to what? Show off His grace. To show off His glory. 
And he did it by grace through faith. And even that faith and that grace and that salvation is a gift of him. It comes from him. It's not you. If you believe it's because of him, you're delivered because of him. Right? And why would he do it that way? Well, ultimately, it's because he's showing off him. And he would do it that way so that we would not what? Make much of us. Oh, do you see that? It's so that you won't make much of you. Wait, 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 wait. This is so important. So that you would not boast. It's his saving plan to do it through faith that even he gives that to you. Why? So that he gets all the credit and we get none. Why is that important? Because he's the only one worthy to be shown off. Not me. Do you understand that if you understand this verse, this section, this point, this whole portion of Scripture, humility will be your life. You will make much of others, not yourself. You will put others' interest above your own. You will love. You will walk in humility. If you get salvation, you understand true salvation. You understand the biblical form of salvation, what biblical salvation is. You will see yourself as the least important person in the room. That's what MacArthur said in the last sermon. The way to unity. The way to joy is through knowing that you're the least important person in the world. Who's the least important person in this room? You should be arguing with me right now. Because if not, you haven't gotten salvation. No one should boast. He gets all the glory. That's what Grace Bible Church needs to be about. Next week we'll look at how he works through that grace to show off his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your, your grace and your kindness towards us. Wretched sinners, worthy of death and judgment, children of wrath. Image bearers, Image bears, yes, but also, more importantly, unworthy sinners, children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, but you, God, 
because of your great love with which you loved us, made us alive, and we worship you for this. We know you did it for your glory, and we say, Amen. You are worthy. I agree. You are worthy of all praise and glory and honor. You are worthy. God, take our lives. Use us for your glory. We are your children. Your adopted children. God, give us faith and repentance and a constant dependence upon you. We need you. Save us. Sanctify us. And glorify us, God. For those in the room that don't know you, we pray you will display your glory and grace and kindness in them. Show them their need of you. Cause them to see that their only hope is in the resurrected Christ who died to pay for sin. God, if there's somebody here or there, please save them. For only you can. We love you, Lord. We thank you. Help us now to worship you in what we sing and then what we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.